Jesus said, I am the gate of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. I am the gate or the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And with our Western mindset of what it looks like to be a shepherd out in the fields and and what we've seen on television maybe, not experienced ourselves, about sheepfolds, um, that's difficult to figure out what is Jesus saying there about being a gate or a door to the sheepfold. Well, there's a story of a man in the 19th century, a biblical scholar called George Adam Smith, And he tells of traveling one day in the Holy Land and coming across a shepherd with his sheep. And he fell into conversation with him, and the man showed him the fold into which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a way in. And Smith asked him, this is where they go at night? Yes, said the shepherd, and when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there's no door, said Smith. The shepherd responded, I am the door. He was not a Christian man. He wasn't speaking the language of the New Testament. He was speaking from an Arab shepherd's viewpoint. Smith looked at him and asked, what do you mean you're the door? When the light is gone, said the shepherd, and all the sheep are inside, I lie in that open space, and no sheep ever goes out but across my body. I am the door or the gate to the sheepfold. And the same also is true that nothing gets into the sheepfold except that it has to pass by the shepherd's body first. And he sleeps lightly and awakens easily to fend off any who would come against the sheep in the sheepfold. Jesus says he is like that Arab shepherd. He's using the image of his time. He's the one that lays down his life, actually, for those in the sheepfold. He is the only doorway to salvation. Whoever enters by me, says Jesus, will be saved. And once within this sheepfold... All of those who have been called by name by Jesus, who have entered in through the gate which is Jesus, find themselves in a new community with others who have likewise been called, rescued by the true shepherd. And the image for this new community is of a family. In the Acts of the Apostles, Luke writes, all who believed were together and shared all things in common. There are two primary ways of describing the church in the Bible. It's as the household of God, the family of God, and the body of Christ. And it's not an organization. It is never referred to as an institution, an organization, 
or a building. It's a living thing. It's a living organism. It's a community of people. So when we say church, we don't mean this. We don't mean the Episcopal Church as an institution. We mean a body of believers who are the very body of Christ, a new family, a new creation, a new humanity, a different way of being, a different way of life. And there's a change in our DNA. Um, in, in Greek, there are two ways of talking about life, at least. One is bios, where we get our biological life from, that DNA lineage that goes back through the centuries. Um, some of you might have had those emails coming across right before Christmas. Sign up for Ancestry.com and find your DNA. Well, curious, I did that, and I finally, you know, you spit in a tube and send it off, and then it comes back. And, um, and, and no surprises here, but 75% of my DNA is from Great Britain. Um, 8% is from Ireland. No real surprise there either. Um, 6% is from Scandinavia. No surprise there. There were the marauding Vikings and Saxons that kept coming over from there into the British Isles. But here was the surprise. 5% was European Jewish. I have no idea uh, where that came from. It's a really fascinating little thing, but that's our biological DNA. That's, that's where we come from. But there's also the word Zoe, which is life in its fullness, which is our spiritual life, the fullness of life. And that gets changed at baptism. Our spiritual DNA has the spiritual strands of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because through baptism and through believing in him, we die in the waters of baptism with him and are raised to new life, resurrection life in him. And he comes and dwells in us so that this Zoe life, this spiritual DNA, gets changed. We're no longer orphans. We truly become God's children, the family of God. And so if we are all now God's children, then it means that we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ at a much deeper level even than our biological lineage because this one goes throughout eternity. And as Paul says, there's neither in this new family, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, that we are all one family. And that doesn't just mean this family here. 
It means that we are brothers and sisters with the church gathered at St. Lawrence down the road, at Macedonia down the road, with the church gathered this day in Africa, with the church, not a building, not an institution, not an organization, but the gathered family of God in Jesus Christ, in Australia, in South America, wherever God's people who are called by the name of Christ gather together all the world over we are truly brothers and sisters this goes deeper than any socio-economic racial divide we are brothers and sisters and that continues when we pass through the veil into the nearer presence of God. We are family, that old song from, I don't know when it goes back to, but we are truly family. And this organism, um, this, this breathing fellowship that is the community of God's people called out people called by the good shepherd into this fellowship expanded from jerusalem and the acts of the apostles shows this progression from jerusalem to judea to samaria to the whole roman empire to the ends of the earth and we see in this passage in the acts of the apostles what they did when they gathered together in this community. What we read today in the Acts of the Apostles have been called the four marks of the church. Again, the four marks of the family of Christians, the living organism. And they're also part of our baptismal covenant. If you were to look at the service for baptism in the Book of Common Prayer, these are vows that we make individually And they're a mark of what we are when we gather together as a community. And it's this. We hear that those who had been baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. These are the marks of each individual Christian and also the Christian community, which is the family of God. And you can't have just one. You can't have just two and be a Christian community or a Christian. You have to have all four marks of Christian community. In the words of N.T. Wright, you can't separate them or leave one out without damage to the whole thing. Where no attention is given to teaching and to constant lifelong Christian learning, people quickly revert to the worldview or mindset of the surrounding culture and end up with their minds shaped by whichever social pressures are most persuasive with Jesus somewhere around as a pale influence or memory where people ignore the common life of the Christian family the technical term often used is fellowship which means more than friendship but not less they become isolated and often find it difficult to sustain a living faith 
where people no longer share regularly in the breaking of bread, the early Christian term for the simple meal that took them back to the upper room in remembrance of Jesus, they are failing to raise the flag which says Jesus' death and resurrection are the center of absolutely everything. And whenever people do all these things but neglect prayer, they're quite simply forgetting that Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. Prayer makes no sense whatsoever unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together and we can share in that already through prayer. In other words, our prayers in this earthly realm pierce through into the heavenly dimension and have power back again on earth because those prayers are knit together in us where Jesus resides. That heavenly dimension that is God's dimension that now lives in us and through us in this community. And what we learn is right before this passage is that passage where uh, Pentecost has come and the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon the apostles and Peter, this simple fisherman, goes out and he preaches this amazing sermon, cuts people to the heart, and that very day, 3,000 people are baptized. Can you imagine that? A simple fisherman, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking with such a charismatic way of expressing himself, that 3,000 people are saved, come to a living faith in Jesus Christ. So those 3,000, together with those 400 or so who were with Jesus from the time of his baptism to his death, resurrection, and ascension, what did they do? But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And because of that foundation, fellowship, teaching, Eucharist, and prayers, the power of God's Holy Spirit was manifested through the leadership. We read that awe came on everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Even today, when these four marks of the church are found to be present in places like Africa, um, in, where new communities of Christians rise up, there are signs and wonders that are being done in the midst of those communities, of those groups. Those who had resources looked after those who didn't have any resources. They shared the common life together at the very basic level. And we read that they spent much time together, both in the temple. Now, the temple was the cultural center of Israel. It wasn't just where the sacrifices were made. 
And the early Christians knew, because we have the witness of the letter to the Hebrews, that they no longer felt that that sacrificing system was of any value because there was one sacrifice that, was met, that had been made. It was Jesus' death on the cross. And so they no longer needed to go into the temple to make sacrifices, and yet they kept going day by day into the temple. In other words, even though they were a new community, they did not withdraw from the rest of the community of the Jewish people, they went into the temple and they were with all of the others. But at the same time, they were also gathering in homes and it was in their homes that they celebrated Eucharist with glad and generous hearts, always praising God. Now, when we think of homes, we kind of think of our, our, our little homes where we go back to and live. And you think, well, how many people could fit in my living room or, you know, in my TV room or whatever? And not a huge number of people in most of our houses. Um, but that wasn't the way that those early houses were built, especially with the Greek influence from Alexander. Um, the archaeological digs, uh, particularly if you're interested, you can Google Dura Europa um, in modern-day Turkey, and um, there's a site plan there of what that looked like. And those homes were built around a central atrium. And then there were colonnades oftentimes going around. And so there was kind of a walkway around. And then there were rooms off of that. And so those homes, the more the people gathered in those homes, uh, the, the more they built onto those homes. And they would build maybe a semicircular baptistry, which is a separate place to have baptisms. So it, it's, it's the model for the early church buildings. But for 350 years, that's where they gathered. That's where they had fellowship. There were no church buildings for the first 350 years of the Christian faith until there was an edict that made Christianity the religion, the state religion of the Roman Empire. So they gathered together in their homes, but they also gathered in the temple until about 70 AD when they were kicked out of the temple by an edict so that Christians were no longer allowed to go in temples or synagogues but they still were out in the community. And what happened because of this common life together, because of this family life, because they shared the joy of their Christian hope together and with others, they had the goodwill of all the people. This devoted life together, this fellowship, this sacramental meal, this commitment to prayer and learning, with generosity towards each other, with gladness, with thankfulness towards God, was so appealing, so attractive, so charismatic, so alluring, that they had the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved day by day as they went out and witnessed in the temple. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The gospel has not changed since that time. God's power has not been diminished 
since that time. People still need to be rescued from sin and death through the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. The Lord has called each of us by name. He's brought you here today. Are we a community that is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers? May we be faithful to that call and live in the same way as that early community. Revealing Christ's love so that as we go out, we might also have the goodwill of the people. And so that, day by day, the Lord may add to our number those who are being saved by the one who is the gate, the one who is the door, the good shepherd of his people. Amen.